going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 247 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to preview week two of the NFL from a DraftKings perspective, talk some slate specifics, talk some chalk, and of course, everything you need to know to win a tournament, leverage, stacks, and long shots. Joey, how are you feeling? Are you ready to bounce back after a tough week one slate? Yeah, I mean, we, we got to bounce back. There's no other option, period. Have to. It's Have mandatory. To. Absolutely. <laughs> and I've got some good plays, so let's just <laughs> jump right into it and start off with some slate specifics from a Vegas perspective. This is a 12-game main slate with seven games early, five games in the afternoon. Three of the four highest totaled games of this slate are primetime. So NFL took all of our favorite options, put them in the spotlight, and left us with what is looking like a pretty ominous slate from a scoring expectation perspective. We have only one game with a total above 50 this week. That is Arizona at Las Vegas currently clocking in with a total of 51 and a half. The top five implied team totals on the slate, we have the LA Rams at 29, the Raiders at 28.5, Denver at 27.5, the Lions creeping up to 25.75, and Indianapolis and San Francisco tied for fifth, 25.5 each. Joey, what stands out to you this week from a Vegas perspective? Not much, Ben. Not much at all. Like you said, only one game with a total above 50, and that's that Cardinals-Raiders game sitting out. Uh, 51 and a half total we have a lot of games where the total is dropping uh we see totals dropped in the atlanta game we see the total dropped in the dolphins ravens game the bucks saints game the Bengals cowboys game for obvious reasons the seahawks niners patriots steelers uh jets browns so not an appetizing slate from a vegas perspective but from a DraftKings perspective, I think it looks pretty, pretty solid. I think there are some obvious mispriced players that are going to be widely used in cash games on DraftKings. And, you know, hopefully it's a good tournament week for the boys after uh, after a miserable week one. Yeah, definitely some mispriced players to say the least. Let's talk some of the chalk. And one of the most mispriced players, if not the most mispriced player on this slate is Daryl Henderson at. 5,700. Henderson played 81% of snaps last week, handled 86% of the running back attempts, had five targets on an elite 40 routes that he ran on 50 Matthew Stafford dropbacks, also handed six out of six red zone snaps for the Rams offense in the red zone. Henderson has dominated this backfield through one week. Cam Akers is an afterthought. The Rams are favored by 10 and a half points at home in a dream spot against the Falcons. I don't think it gets much easier than locking Daryl Henderson into cash teams this week. Yeah, absolutely. Daryl Henderson is going to be one of the chalkiest players on the entire slate for all of the reasons that you mentioned. But would it would it shock anybody if, you know, this is the game where Cam Akers gets more run? You know, would it would it shock anybody if Daryl Henderson finishes with ten points in this spot against the Falcons and Cam Akers just magically returns to form and comes in and rushes for like hundred and fifty yards on twelve attempts? Mm. 
I think that would shock me, low-key. I mean, projections-wise, the the projections community would be blown away. These things are like polar opposites, where Henderson is, you know, easily looking like one of the best values of the slate. Acres is not. But I could see an outcome where they make a point to reestablish Acres. Do you think that that's likely, or are you worried about Henderson's floor-ceiling combination in this spot? Uh, not particularly because the Rams did show us that they prefer Daryl Henderson, at, at least in week one. And there was really nothing to suggest that they would go away from Henderson. Cam Akers was not good in week one. And obviously the Rams had some offensive line problems as well. And Daryl Henderson wasn't that efficient either. So it is going to be interesting to see how the Rams use Cam Akers moving forward and whether or not Daryl Henderson does have this bell cow role. But as it stands right now, projections obviously love Daryl Henderson at 5,700. He's projecting as one of the best values on the entire slate. And he is going to be one of the highest owned players on the slate and obviously I think he's a great play probably playing him in cash not probably I am playing him in cash you know I just won't be surprised come four o'clock on Wednesday if Cam Akers outscores Daryl Henderson because that's just how the NFL goes Uh, that is how the NFL goes all right other running backs that I think are going to be popular the mid-range seems to be loaded once again obviously Christian McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor are the top two running backs on the slate from a raw points projection standpoint but priced all the way up at 8900 for CMC and 9900 for Jonathan Taylor I think puts them pretty far out of reach for cash Joe Mixon 7200 in a game against Dallas where the Bengals are heavily favored. We have Saquon Barkley coming off of his monster reemergence into the league, 7,300. DeAndre Swift, if he plays, 7K. Leonard Fournette, 7,600. Who stands out to you in terms of an RB2 that you're looking at in cash this week? Yeah, I think the two that stand out to me in this range is... Saquon and Leonard. Saquon Barkley at 7,300. He had 24 touches last week, seven targets, six catches. So there's pass catching upside there. Obviously, the explosiveness that we didn't see from Saquon last year looks to have returned. He broke off that big run against Tennessee and just overall looked like 2019 Saquon Barkley in week one. And he's going to be the Giants' bell cow moving forward. 7,300. I think is still too cheap for a player of Saquon's caliber and his touch projection. So I think he's going to be very popular. And then Leonard Fournette as well. I mean, he's 6,700. I think that's just an obvious underprice for his role on the Tampa Bay Bucks offense. He had 23 touches in week one against the Cowboys, went over 100 yards on the ground. Obviously, only two catches for 10 yards. Hurts uh, because we know he is capable of more in the passing game. And it kind of just looked like the Bucks just wanted to just get out of that game. You know, it, it looks like Brady and Co. didn't even want to be there. They were like, oh, we, we know we're going to win. We're just going to hand the ball off to Leonard, you know. So in a usually tight contested game against the Saints where I don't think Brady has beaten the Saints in his time in Tampa, I, I think they could lean on Leonard Fournette on the ground. And the, the Saints got obliterated by Cordero Patterson last week. So I, I think the, the floor and, and ceiling is still relatively high with uh, Leonard Fournette this week. Totally agree. It's hard for me to get off of Saquon Barkley in this spot. Like you mentioned, just elite usage. He was number one in all of the following categories among running backs target share, routes run, rushing yards, snap share, 
and yards created. 7,300 is just too cheap for a player of that caliber, and we saw just a week ago what Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt were able to combine for against this Carolina defense. I think Saquon Barkley is in for a field day in this spot. He would be my lean over Fournette, but Fournette is definitely a safe play this week, especially when we look at the Tampa Bay receivers in that pass-catching situation with Gage, you know, not practicing today, Godwin not practicing today, Julio not practicing today, Godwin's already out, the other two questionable. Fournette could just have a boosted target share in this spot as well as all of these scoring expectations. So those would be the two that I was looking at. I think Mixon, you could call viable. I think some people may end up punting off to Jeff Wilson Jr. as he starts in light of Eli Mitchell. But ultimately, in a week that I think is looking to be a two running back week in cash, it's Hendo and then one of Barkley or Fournette for me. Yep, I totally agree. All right, at the quarterback position, early in the week, it looks like ownership is going to consolidate around two players primarily, two guys that I think will be heavily utilized in cash games. That's Derek Carr and Trey Lance. Let's start off with Lance, who had an extremely disappointing effort in Chicago. I don't know how much of that we are willing to attribute to the weather, which to be fair was absolutely brutal. It would have been brutal for any quarterback, but nonetheless, Lance's performance was uninspiring completely. 13 out of 28 attempts, good for a 46.4 completion percentage. Did have the rushing role that we hope to see rushed for a team high. 13 attempts, created 54 yards on the ground, was held without a touchdown rushing, was held without a touchdown passing. That being said, it doesn't seem like Vegas is docking San Francisco at all. They're tied for a top five implied team total with 25 and a half. So Trey Lance, how worried about Trey Lance are you following week one? And are you looking at him as a cash viable option? this week priced at 5700 yeah I think he is one of you know the best cash game quarterback plays on the board I think that getting his rushing upside out of a player under 6k is very valuable to be honest he had 13 rush attempts for 54 yards last week against the Bears and I'm willing to give Trey Lance a pass in that game. Obviously, the weather conditions impacted a lot, and he wasn't great, only a 46% completion percentage. But this is still a player that we were drafting in, you know, the seventh round of best ball. You know, we were expecting him to be one of the best fantasy quarterbacks in the entire NFL due to his rushing upside and due to the skill position players around him uh, in Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle. So at 5,700, I think he's still in play this week. You know, I think right now, if I were to lock in a lineup, Trey Lance would be my cash game quarterback, and I would feel pretty comfortable running him against the Seahawks in a game where I think the Niners should be able to win pretty easily. How does he compare to you to Derek Carr? The Raiders are boasting the second highest implied team total on the slate, 28 and a half. It looks like the Raiders are in position to put up some points here against an Arizona team that we just saw get demolished by Patrick Mahomes, gave up five passing touchdowns. It seems a little bad, in my opinion, from a cash game perspective where floor is important to pay an extra $500 for Derek Carr compared to what Trey Lance can do and his floor as a rusher, but Carr is undoubtedly going to be one of the highest owned and most popularly played quarterbacks on this slate. Yeah, I mean, obviously the best in game environment on the slate 
Uh, this has shootout potential written all over it. Derek Carr himself, even with Adams there, I think still doesn't have that high of a ceiling. And we saw it last week against the Chargers, only finishing with 16.8. DraftKings points was five yards away from the bonus. So, so maybe he gets 20 plus if he gets those five yards. But Derek Carr is just not an exciting player to play in my opinion. I think that I would definitely prefer Trey Lance in cash, but I, I could see why Derek Carr is going to be semi-chalky. He's projecting relatively well, and the game environment, uh, like I said, is one of the best on the slate. So it, it makes sense, but I still prefer Trey Lance, even if Lance is a tad riskier, which I, I do believe he is. Yep, I, I agree. We're both on Team Lance there. The only thing that I will say about Derek Carr is that I think we have to include just a little bit of the potential that maybe the Chargers defense is stone cold elite. I mean, Carr had three interceptions and two fumbles, was five away from the bonus, like you said. So his week and our expectations of Carr could be a little bit different, especially if we're looking at a matchup against a much, much softer secondary. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And yeah, I, w- I would consider Carr. I, I don't think he's a bad play by any stretch. All right, let's talk about some of the wide receivers on this slate. Wide receiver, I think, is the position where you have the most potential to go in different directions. There are strong plays at virtually every price point, but the story of the week, I think, is at the top of the player pool. DraftKings wasted no time in pricing Cooper Cup all the way up following his Monster 15 target date debut against the Bills, 9,900 for Cooper Cup. Devontae Adams at 8,600. These two players are in a tier of their own at the wide receiver position. And rightfully so, obviously. They're two of the best plays on the entire slate. In my humble opinion, I think DraftKings priced Cooper Cup out of cash consideration. I know you feel differently, but I don't think they priced Devontae Adams out of cash consideration. So if I had to choose one with salary in regard, it's definitely Devontae Adams at 8,600 for cash. I think Devontae Adams is probably going to be the highest owned wide receiver on the slate. He's in the best game environment. He had what, like a 47% target share, 46% (laughs) target share in week one, uh, 17 targets, 10 catches, 141 yards. Like nothing is going to change with Devontae Adams going from Green Bay to Las Vegas. Derek Carr is just going to lock onto him. And at 8,600, I think Adams is the must play between the two. And I, I don't know. I just don't feel comfortable playing cup when he's one-fifth of the entire salary that you can have for the week. But like I said, I I know you feel a little bit differently about it. Joey, there's a a saying, and (laughs) my great-grandfather used to say this. He passed it down to my grandfather, who passed Mm. it down to my dad, who passed it down to me. And that saying, Joey, is is no cup, no cash. Mm. All right? It's a a great saying. And it makes a lot of sense. And on a slate like this, we talked about this last week when we recapped the results. I think that we have entered an age of DFS where the wide receivers, especially these top guys, the Cooper Cups, the Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, if he were on this slate, I would consider as well, are, are just as safe as the running backs of old that we would jam in at any cost necessary, especially on a slate like this where overall the scoring expectation is low. There's a lot of poor games, poor game environments. I feel super comfortable just banking on the 20 to 25 points that you can get from Cooper Cup on a down week and the 30 plus that is well within his range in any given game. I am very comfortable playing both Cooper Cup and Devontae Adams in cash this week. And I think that the reason that you can do that is because there are some strong plays towards the bottom of the player pool. Some guys that stand out to me include Greg Dortch, 
a man who is priced at 3,500 coming off of a week where he had a 25% target share, ran a ton of routes in the slot with no Rondale Moore. Also an elite game environment, like we noted, uh, playing for the Cardinals. I think that Alec Pierce, who was listed as questionable at this point in the concussion protocol, could open up the doors for Ashton Doolin as a cheap punt. Paris Campbell. We have the two ancillary Washington receivers in what is the second highest totaled game on the slate. Curtis Samuel, 4,600 coming off of a 15 touch week. Jahan Dotson, 4,200 coming off of a two touchdown week. I think there are options and ways in cash that you can get up to both Cup and Adams. Is that something that you would be opposed to? Yeah, I mean, Greg Dortch looks appealing at 3,500. When, you know, you take into account his week one, right? He had nine targets. He played on 91% of the snaps. He ran a ton of routes. He's only 3,500. And, you know, he's not even projecting that bad either as it stands right now, uh, just in terms of uh, value on this slate. I don't think Dorch is going to be that high owned. I think that the field is a little bit sharper and they're not going to play a guy named Greg Dorch in cash. Does that make him sharp? No Dorch, no dollars, my guy. You remember you never heard that one? <laughs> uh, you know, we, we may see Rondell Moore back at 4,100. They said he's day-to-day at this point, so we'll see what happens with that. And obviously, Zach Ertz played in week one, so he should be even more healthy in week two. And yeah, man, I, first of all, it's it just simply, I'm just not playing Greg Dorch in cash. There, there's just no need. I get you want to jam in cup, but... Like I like I believe he's they priced him out at ninety nine hundred. You know, if if you're playing Cub, you could you could make the same argument then that you should be jamming in Jonathan Taylor too at, at ninety nine hundred. But we're not we're not jamming in ninety nine hundred JT because there's obviously better running back value, and I think there are some better wide receiver values where you can get similar target shares that Cup will see out of guys in you know the six K range like Amon Ra St. Brown who had what thirty two percent target share in week one, and I think he's obviously a very good play. And then you have you know your Brandon Cooks at six K who was sitting around thirty percent last week in terms of target share, and then you have your Christian Kirk a little bit cheaper. You have your Jerry Judy. You have your Michael Pittman at 6,700, who we both think is a, is a little bit underpriced at this point still. So I just don't see the need to play two of Dotson or Rondell Moore, Greg Dorch and Curtis Samuel in cash. I think it's an unnecessary risk when you can get similar target shares to Cup with some guys in that 5,700 to 6,500 range. So let's sort through some of those guys. I think you named a majority of the players I would be considering personally in cash, like Amon Ross St. Brown versus Michael Pittman, I think is extremely close, almost a dead pick I like that you mentioned Christian Kirk. We saw Kirk's role be absolutely phenomenal. 12 targets, which was sixth most in the league in week one, had a lot of slot snaps, uh, number six in the league in slot snaps, but still was able to put up big yardage 117 in a week where he only caught 50% of his targets Kirk to me is a phenomenal play this week at 5700 I would prefer him straight up to Jerry Judy for $100 more Judy is a guy who's going to be popular this week at 5600 and Brandon Cooks as well as you mentioned I think that Kirk would be the guy I would look at between the three yeah Kirk 12 targets in week one clear cut Trevor Lawrence's favorite target could potentially be in a negative game script against the Colts I I love Christian Kirk this week at 5,700. He's projecting pretty solidly. Uh, He should be one of the more owned wide receivers on the slate. Jerry Judy, 5,600. Had a 
pretty good game against the Seahawks. He had seven targets, four catches for 102 yards and a touchdown. And in this game against Houston, where the Broncos are 10 point favorites. I think that this is a good spot to attack these Broncos wide receivers. I I think that we could see Russell and co just come out and absolutely dominate this Texans team and put up 30 plus points. And I I love Jerry Judy in the spot. And, you know, I I think you believe that the Texans could also put up some points in in this game as well and potentially cover that 10 point spread, which would obviously bode well for the skill position guys in Denver, um, especially the wide receivers. So don't mind Jerry Judy for a hundred cheaper either yeah i think that those are all relatively solid plays is there anybody else at wide receiver that we need to mention before we talk tight end just in terms of cash i don't believe so i think your cash pool for wide receivers should definitely be like Devonte adams cooper cup Pittman, christian kirk jerry judy and then you know you can include those uh those scrubs at the bottom if you want in your in your mm-hmm. cash pool sounds Good to me. At tight end, I think the two highest owned plays on the slate are going to come from the mid-range. Tyler Higby stands out at 4,200. He's coming off putting up a pretty disappointing 5 for 39, but the 11 targets was very encouraging. I think we could easily see that come down quite a bit, especially in a less uh, pass-happy game script for the Rams, but this is a team that tends to remain pass-heavy regardless of game script, so Higby's going to be popular for 4,200. You can save some salary and go down to Albert O, who had a decent game as well on Monday night, catching five of his six targets for 33 yards. And, you know, a five for 33 stat line is usually going to be okay with us in cash if we're paying a mid 3k salary for it yeah Higby is fine obviously you know if you're playing Higby and Cup and Daryl Henderson I think that's bad I just don't want three players from the same team in my cash game lineup especially a running back and a tight end with Cup so I probably wouldn't go the Higby route I think I'd be more interested in the Albert O route just to get a piece of that Broncos offense against Houston if you're not playing Jerry Judy he's 3700 I think that's fine and I think there is a punt type tight end that we could consider this week at 2500 and that's Jawan Johnson shout out to him he's min priced he had five targets in that week one game against the Falcons uh going for two catches in, in 43 yards and you know if you get eight points out of Jawan Johnson at min price like you'll you'll take it and, and this could be a game where the Saints may have to throw the ball more against this pretty stout Buccaneers run defense obviously they kind of got game scripted into throwing more but that's when the Saints really started cooking was when they allowed Jameis to cook with you know Kamara and MT and Jarvis Landry and you know the tight ends and and Taysom Hill and whatnot so Jawan Johnson 2500 definitely in consideration I love that you never have to tell me too much about playing a punt tight end 2500 if we're looking at a four or five target number on a 2500 tight end you might as well just consider it <laughs> part of my cash lineup yeah absolutely tournament strategy leverage stacks and long shots from a leverage perspective joey this may be a little bit ugly but i have a play that to me checks all the boxes all right the price is right the theoretical ceiling should be high 
attached to the team with the highest implied team total on the slate and he has direct leverage off of not one not two but three of the players that we expect to be the highest owned at their respective positions on this slate of course i am referring to Allen robinson priced at 5500 coming off of quite possibly one of the most disappointing performances of week one held to one catch for 12 yards in the opening night game but Allen robinson is a player that we can't let our recency bias cap us from playing. Cooper Cup is going to be massively owned. Daryl Henderson is going to be massively owned. I expect there to be some ownership on Tyler Higby. Allen Robinson makes perfect sense as the pivot. You can include him in a nice Stafford double stack if you want to go about things like that. Allen Robinson at 5,500 can we play him, Joey. Is there still hope? Yeah, I think there's definitely still hope. I mean, he was open a lot of the time. Stafford just didn't target him. And Stafford is really just looking to cup first. <laughs> you know, and Allen Robinson at, at 5,500, I think he should come in between 5 to 10% in tournaments, if I had to guess. And I think the price is right. I think that the theoretical upside is still there for Allen Robinson. And like you said, the Rams have the highest implied team total at, on the slate, 28 and a half or tied with the Raiders. I should say. So it is a good spot for these Ram skill position players. And, you know, if you're just looking for a clear ownership leverage play that makes the most sense in the world, it is Allen Robinson on this slate for sure. Yep. Anybody standing out to you from a leverage perspective? I think a leverage play that makes sense is definitely Darren Waller. You know, you're getting leverage off of a chalky Devontae Adams. And in tournaments in general, I think it is profitable long-term to fade the chalky wide receivers uh, just because there are similar wide receivers that have similar ceilings to Devontae Adams that will be at extremely lower ownership. You know, you could target like a Debo or a Tyreek Hill or, or whatnot and get off Adam's chalk. And Darren Waller, I think, makes sense as a leverage play. Obviously, you're filling in the tight end spot. He's 5,600. He's projecting for around 5% ownership right now in tournaments. So we'll have to see if that changes. He came out of that week one game with only six targets compared to Devontae Adams, 17 targets. Are we expecting Devontae Adams to continue to get 17 targets? Most likely not. I think some of that opportunity could definitely swing back Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro's way. And in theory, if Darren Waller is scoring touchdowns, that's probably taking away from Devontae Adams ceiling on a weekly basis. So if I'm betting on Darren Waller at 5,600 at 5% owned and and getting off of a 8,600 chalk Devontae Adams, I think that makes a ton of sense in the world. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Plus, we're talking about a slate with potentially no George Kittle, no Travis Kelsey. So the you know, potential edge you're getting on the field by getting one of those elite tight ends, I think is even higher on a slate like this. So Darren Waller is certainly an interesting leverage piece. In terms of stacks, what's jumping out to you this week as some some teams that you might want to be stacking? Yeah, I mentioned the Broncos stuff. I definitely love that. You know, Russ is projecting right now as like a 1% play, which is just crazy. And then you could stack him up with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy for relatively cheap as well. Cortland Sutton at 6,100. Don't think anybody's going to play him in uh, Jerry Judy at 5,600. Looks like one of the best values. So I definitely love the Broncos stuff when you take into consideration ceiling and ownership on that double stack. So the Broncos double right now is looking like my favorite. And, you know, they're, they're they're in a nut matchup, to be honest. Yep, I like that quite a bit. 
Russell Wilson definitely has the potential to smash on this slate. I, I I mean, it doesn't look like too many people are going to be playing Lamar Jackson, which I think is interesting. I mean, Lamar definitely has a very high ceiling, especially when we're looking at a slate with no Allen, no Mahomes, no Herbert. The potential for the quarterbacks that can separate like Kyler, Lamar, and Russell Wilson really stand out to me. So I would be looking at the three of those guys. And outside of that, I don't know that there's that much that stands out to me. Tom Brady's a tough play in the mid-range when you can upgrade to the guys we just mentioned for not that much more. Stafford, I'm super interested in. Doubles, like I mentioned with Allen Robinson, I think will be pretty contrarian. Derek Carr is going to have too much ownership and his stacking pieces are going to make it a little bit difficult to play him. And then outside of that, there's just not much that really stands out to me unless you are, you know, interested in say a Joe Burrow stack. Maybe the, the Cowboys are able to give the Bengals more of a push than we expect but we saw the, the the Bengals be extremely rush heavy when the game was close early last week. So that would give me some hesitancy in a spot where the Bengals are favored by over a touchdown. Jameis Winston revenge game, maybe. I don't know. what. Is there anybody else that stands out to you outside of, of Wilson and the top guys? No, I mean, I think just from a tournament perspective, I, I think we are going to see a ton of ownership around the mid-range quarterback. So just getting off of that build you know, gives you leverage inherently right there by getting up to a Russ or a Kyler or a Lamar, you know, three guys who are projecting to be 8% or lower and Russ and Kyler Murray are projected to both be 1% owned in the highest total game on the slate with two of the highest ceilings at the quarterback position. So if those mid-range guys end up busting, which obviously there's a there's a good chance that they will and these top quarterbacks separate from the field you know you're going to need a Lamar or a Russ Wilson or a Kyler to win so I think just getting up to one of these three guys in, in tournaments uh, definitely looks optimal to me all right give me a long shot or two to close out this show yeah I mean I already mentioned Russell Wilson who's projected for one percent so if you think he's coming in at one percent he's a total smash for my second guy I'll go with as as a player under five percent or less kind of in a weird price range where nobody's really going to look to and he is in one of the highest total games on the slate and he is a bring back to a lot of chalky pieces and that's Drake London at 5200 you know he mm. led all rookies and you know target share and and yards in week one and he does look to be the real deal um five catches 74 yards seven targets obviously the offensive efficiency and the quarterback play is the concern around drake london but at a potential three percent ownership as a bring back for your ram stack if you want to play cup and Allen robinson and matt stafford or whomever or a bring back just in general uh for the rams chalky guys i think this is a good way to lower your ownership is with Drake London, 5,200. And the Rams, I mean, we, we just saw them get obliterated by the Bills' passing attack. And I think we should see the Falcons pass a little bit more in this game. Uh, they, they should be game scripted into it. So Drake London, 5,200, book it. Nice. Are you are you going to be trying to, you're, you said exclusively with, with Rams bringbacks, are you going to be running some Mariota out there, 5,600? Absolutely you know, Coming not. off of a 12 attempt rushing game, no? No Mariota Absolutely for you? Absolutely not. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's fair. All right. So for me, there is there are a few long shots that I'm interested in. The one that I think is just super interesting, he's a guy that completely flew under the radar and got overshadowed by two players on his own team, but I think we can confidently say remains 
the clear-cut wide receiver one on his own team. That is Terry McLaurin at 6,600. He is in a price range where absolutely nobody is going to touch him. Amon Ross St. Brown priced below him. Michael Pittman priced above him coming off of a disappointing week. I think Curtis Samuel will have some more ownership. I think Jahan Dotson will have some more ownership. Terry McLaurin coming in with an early week ownership projection right around 1% and is absolutely the type of player that has a nice 25 plus, you know, spot in his range of outcomes against the Lions team that just got eviscerated by AJ Brown a short week ago. I think Terry McLaurin is pretty interesting at 6,600 as a long shot. Yeah, he's interested. He's obviously priced in between some guys that are going to be a little bit chalkier and that I like a little bit better. And I mean, personally, I just hate playing Terry McLaurin. I don't know why. I just never click his name, but this total has risen four points. I think the betting community is, you know, all over a Jared Goff, Carson Wentz shootout in Detroit. What could go wrong? Yeah, what what could go wrong with that? But Terry McLaurin, we obviously know he's a very talented wide receiver. Only four targets last week, unfortunately, but I think some of those targets from Curtis Samuel swing back to Terry McLaurin's way. I mean, Curtis Samuel isn't going to be the target guy in this offense. You know, when when it's said and done, that was just, you know, fluky week one by nature. So I I think if Terry McLaurin gets 10 targets in this game, he he should probably smash. You don't think that Curtis Samuel is the new new Debo? I mean, they're both Samuels, if you think about it. I, I don't I don't think so, Benny. I don't I don't believe so. I guess there is no Samuel to Samuel correlation. Any other long shots that you're interested in for this week? No, I'm not seeing. Uh, much right now I would advise people to uh to tune into your tournament video where where you'll dive into five or so players that are great tournament plays if if they want to hear more about GPP strategy and whatnot so make sure you subscribe to YouTube yes please do I will leave the people with one final thought I think that it's a lot of people's inclination to look at week one as gospel. It's very hard to sort out what is sticky, what is not sticky. I would just advise people to do whatever they can to keep the recency bias in check. And I think in tournaments specifically, it is a phenomenal week to just attack players whose you know talent or opportunity were high on that struggled in week one, some examples could include Christian McCaffrey, who, you know, was coming in as, you know, one of the highest owned plays last week is going to, you know, be priced out of that this week, but still does have one of, if not the highest ceilings in all of fantasy football. You could look at Cortland Sutton, Allen Robinson, Hunter Renfro, Marquise Brown. There are a slew of players that I think would fit into this general basket and all guys that I'm going to be looking to target in tournaments in this coming week. I just think that trying to get leverage off of people's recency bias and and capitalize on opportunities that we spent months trusting is probably a good idea in the short term in in a single week slate of DFS action where, as we know, anything can happen. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, well said. And yeah, I mean, you, you got to play players that dotted in week one, especially if we were drafting them highly all off season. You know, a, a one week sample doesn't change much, in my opinion. It doesn't. It will in ownership. And that is what we are here to do. Make sure you guys tune into the Saturday night live stream where we will have even more thoughts, plays, we'll be taking questions, all sorts of good shit. And that is going to be it for episode 247 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Dose Media Net as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey is at Joey Carrion DFS. 
If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what's going on within the network, join the inner circle via our free Discord channel. You can find the link to that in the show notes to the podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.